welcome to Short Story Discussions, the podcast by Short Story Book Club for people who love short stories. Today's podcast is brought to you by Short Story Book Club. Get the best short stories and snacks delivered to your door each month when you subscribe at shortstorybookclub.com. And now, here's our show. Bob Mustin is the author of several books, including The Blue Bicycle, which was chosen as the Short Story Book Club Short Story of the Month for December 2018. He is an award-winning writer, having received awards from both the Military Writers Society of America and the North Carolina Writers Network. Bob writes novels, short fiction, and nonfiction. Bob Thank you for joining Short Story Book Club today for our author chat. Thanks, Don. I'm glad to be here. And uh, this is actually a rescheduling. So um, any of our listeners um, who have been um, following us on social media know that we had originally attempted to meet for the author chat in December, but there were some... um, technical difficulties. I think there is maybe some, some weather going on um, in, your, in your area. And so we weren't able to, to um, connect at that time. So we're rescheduling here for January and uh, hopefully the technology will uh, hold up. Yeah, I'm sorry about that uh, too. Uh, our, I live in, I guess, the provinces here in the mountains of North Carolina and sometimes our technology is not uh, the highest quality, but I think it'll work today just fine. Yeah. So, um, could you tell us, uh, just a little bit about yourself and about your writing career before we, um, dive into the book? Sure. I'd be glad to. Um, I have been interested in writing all my life. I wrote my first story when I was eight years old. Uh, dictated it to my mother, uh, bless her. She wrote it down and I kept it for years. Um, and I had writing jobs of a sort. I had an engineering career and I always ended up in uh, jobs that involved writing, uh, specification writing. I was editor of the uh, uh, our particular department's uh, newsletter, things like that. Uh, I really didn't get serious about writing, uh, particularly fiction, until, oh, I guess about 20 years ago. And I started, well, I'd been writing shorts a little bit, but I really wasn't taking that particularly seriously at the time. Um, I decided to try to write a novel. I thought, well... If I get bogged down, so be it. I'll just <laughs> not do this. But I ended up carrying it on to completion and actually had it published. And so it's just kind of um, my interest, at least, has snowballed since then. Uh, I've had uh, seven or eight books published. I'm now trying to help other writers uh, get published if I find manuscripts that I really believe in. And um, I'm uh, publishing... Uh, couple of books of poetry by a very fine 
poet here in North Carolina that I came across. Um, spectacularly good poet uh, by my ear. So that's kind of, um, I guess, the short version of uh, my writing. Um, as I said, I had a uh, career as an engineer. I was in the Navy for a brief period of time and then uh, had my engineering career and retired from that where I can devote my time full time to uh, writing. Okay. So let's back up just a little bit because you, you said a couple of things that I found just a little bit interesting. So okay. you said that your first story you wrote as a youngster, five years old, was it? Eight. Eight years old. Eight. Yeah. And your your mother, so you dictated this story to your mother. What was this story about? <laughs> it was a blatant ripoff of Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. It was my my little eight-year-old version of that story. Um, I didn't uh, stray too far from the actual uh, story of that. Um, I don't really remember much about it now, except that I did that and uh, generally what it was about. Uh, my mother kept the story for years. Um, and growing up in a military family, as I did, uh, we... Uh, occasionally got rid of things wholesale and uh, that somewhere disappeared. No. So the, the creativity, I guess, you know, the storytelling, it's been with you forever, but what was it like, how did you know at some point in your life, like you've had this experience as a young child and that, that obviously stayed with you, but it wasn't until adulthood that you started thinking about um, let's just let's just take writing as a career. So when you were in the military, did you have a chance to choose what occupation you would take, or did they just say, "Oh, let's give it to Bob. He's a good writer." That's pretty much it. Um, I really didn't realize it. Uh, didn't remember it actually, but uh, I went to the Naval Academy, and while I was there, I rediscovered that I had been the sports writer for the uh, Brigade newspaper uh, for one year. Uh, so I did that then. Uh, so I've always seemed to have writing land in my lap somehow or other, and that was uh, what the military did for me. Um, I've been thinking about that question quite a lot over the last few years, and um, I think it goes back to some kids have the knack of, or maybe it's a way of torturing your parents, I'm not sure, but you see things like um, a wrecked car on the road as you're driving to grandmother's and you point it out to mom and say, look, there's a wrecked car. And I wonder if who was driving that car and you reckon it was a man or a woman or maybe a little kid got in trouble driving it. There's always imagination that kind of figures into reality there uh, with certain types of kids. And I guess I was one of those. Mm-hmm. And so when you were riding um, at the, the Naval Academy and, and in your various occupations, 
you were doing a lot of nonfiction. Um, was when you were doing your nonfiction, did you see that kind of like imagination and creativity try to come through or, or was it like that was why you had to, to come to fiction? How did, how did that work? Um, I grew up, um, and of course this tells my age to some degree, but, um, I grew up in the age of Steinbeck and Hemingway and mm -hmm. some of those writers, uh, that were published in the mass uh, circulation magazines like Collier's, Saturday Evening Post, um, and I always read those stories. I, I was just fascinated with them. And then uh, when I entered college, um, I was fascinated with the authors, the novels, you know, that these great writers were uh, putting out. They were still writing then. It wasn't history then. It was... You know, Hemingway would put a book out, and Steinbeck would put a book out, and we would grab it and read it. And, um, it was a very, um, as you said, organic sort of thing. And, um, and somewhere in the in all that, I think the seed was planted in my mind, in my heart, to uh, want to do what they were doing. Of course, you know, writing is a completely different animal today than it was back then. Hmm. So how was it different? Um, I was uh, watching a series on uh, Amazon Prime this weekend. In fact, I was kind of binge watching it. It was a re redo of uh, Tom Clancy's uh, Jack Ryan characters that's been done for TV. Um, that's that's where a lot of the writers go now is to TV and, and that sort of writing. Mm -hmm. It seems like a lot of writing is being done more like um, like we did in engineering. Uh, originally in engineering, you had these solitary engineers that uh, designed things, came up with the concepts, designed them and had them built. And that's all done by, you know, a group of people, committees, uh, different organizations. And writing seems to be headed in that direction too. Um, although there's people like me that still want to, um, to do what, you know, the great writers did, uh, have done for, you know, 150 years or so, uh, which is right write stories, write novels, write poetry, uh, essays. Um, uh, I'm not sure there's really anybody like somebody, for instance, John Updike anymore that can do it all. Um, and the market for it all is tough now. Um, I remember in the short story markets back when I was in high school and, uh, People like Hemingway were being published. Of course, he was famous, and he could attract a pretty good bit of money for a short story. Um, some of the big-name writers were drawing $500, $1,200 you know, a story, which was pretty big money back then. Mm. Uh, now if you get published, it's in a literary journal of some sort or in a zine on, on the Internet, and uh, your payment is maybe a copy of the book if it's in print and you know your name mentioned uh, on the internet uh, if it's published on a zine 
Right. Um, it's it's tougher. It's tougher now for writers. Um, and it discourages a lot of people that could be good writers. Mm-hmm. So it seems as if writing has has simply become well more commercial perhaps uh and less literary so less about the um the art of storytelling and maybe more about um titillating the reader would you say that that is correct yeah yeah i'd say that um it's harder to get um readers attention because you have so much media that's competing mm-hmm. with the books and the magazines, whatever that's mm-hmm. uh, writing. Good writing is published in. I was just talking to one of my neighbors before uh, we started uh, about uh, journalism. Uh, I came of age as an adult in Atlanta, and uh, we had two fine newspapers there, and even the sports writers were writing really, really good stuff. You know, that you, you read it and say, this is good writing. Mm-hmm. And they should be publishing books, and most of them really did back then. Uh, that's not there now. Most of those journalists are in the uh, visual field of journalism now, and it's not in writing. Um, I, I, you know, I don't want to get negative about all this, but um, I'm, I'm not sure where the the craft of writing is headed. I really don't. Um, I'm hoping there, you know, things do come in cycles, you know, in the world, and I'm hoping that there'll be a resurgence of um, interest in writing uh, by readers particularly because I think the readers create the writers to a certain extent. Exactly, yes. Yes, I agree with that. And then let's also... I mean, if you want to, let's take it there. Um, Literacy uh, in the United States is actually declining. So more and more people are graduating from um, high school and even leaving universities being functionally uh, illiterate or um, having very low literacy. And the fact that people have difficulty reading makes it hard for them to read some of these more literary works um, of the sort that you're talking about, the Steinbecks and the Hemingways um, and um, some of the more contemporary authors are publishing, I guess, more to this young adult type of uh crowd I guess I mean so so what I have seen is that um, a lot of people are reading the young adult the YA material more than they are um, the literary genre and it is my um, opinion my guess that this is because of the low literacy so the quick the quick reads the low vocabulary um, the the um, they don't have that that complex narrative that you have in some of these and some of the um, right literary works. Um, yeah, I pretty much agree with that. Uh, I'm hopeful uh, for the future. Uh, in fact, I wrote 
the blue bicycle for a number of reasons. One was um, I wanted to get men back into reading again, reading fiction. Um, most men seem, if they read at all, they want to read nonfiction. Uh, but uh, I thought that by re writing a novella, uh, that you know I might attract male readers again, uh, actually create recreate that market. Maybe that's um, uh, been a little too high-minded on my part, but uh, I think that men need to read more, and then you know they tend to ignore fiction when really fiction can teach you a lot. Mm -hmm. and um, I, th I saw a short novel like this one as being the way into that uh, with writers. In fact, I was talking to a friend of mine the day before yesterday, I think it was, that I'm planning to write some more novellas, um, short stuff, and maybe uh, create, at least for me, uh, you know, a readership that, doesn't have much time. You can read them on the bus or lunch hour, that sort of thing. Right. Well, this is very exciting. I'm I'm so glad to hear this. So we can expect more short works, so more novellas, um, and also, you know, what you said about, um, you know, this particular reading audience, the, um, you know, trying to to write specifically for men. I had not even thought of that when I was reading this um, story. So when I looked at it, I mean, obviously, you know, the, there are a lot of male characters in it. There's, um, you know, the relationship between um, um, Artie and his, uh, his grandfather. But I also saw a lot of um, maternal relationships there as well, you know, with his, his own mother and his, uh, his wife girlfriend all of that so I didn't I mean it's it's really interesting when you say that it that it was um, really directed toward a, a male audience but before we we get further um, into the book if you can please you know summarize um, uh, the, the main points of the book and then we'll sort of dive back into that um, uh, the male audience question okay um, the book is in four parts, and maybe I should preface it by saying that at the point that I wrote this book, I was pretty discouraged. I'd had a, my first novel published in Canada, and it had sold well briefly, but then the uh, um, distributors in the United States had withheld money from that publisher trying to put them out of business because they were competing with American companies. Mm. Uh, and then I had a second novel that they had accepted uh, in that company. And when it, that company folded, um, I couldn't get it published anymore. And I tried and tried and tried, and I was discouraged. So I decided I would write this book uh, somewhat com complex format, uh, different po points of view, different uh tenses and submit it to an editor and if you know I really had any really groundbreaking flaws in my writing it would sure show up there and um, I, I sent it to a 
an agent, not an agent, but an editor. And she had a few comments that were constructive and that I had to adapt the story to, but mostly she liked what I was doing. Um, so anyway, that's kind of how this book was written. It was kind of written as in panic mode, really. Um, but it's written in four parts. Uh, the first part is Artie when he's a little kid. Uh, he, I don't know if I should tell too much of the story, but he loses his parents and his bicycle is his escape from the conflicts between his parents. And in the, the bicycle really stays as sort of an outlet or a symbol of an outlet between all the conflicts in life and Artie. And in the second part, he, um, there's conflicts again. He's poor. He's living with his great-grandfather, Merle. And he is dating a girl that's pretty well off, and he figures, well, she really doesn't love me at all. You know, per, as per uh, high school uh, love goes. Um, and so he's, he's worried about that. And then the third part makes a big leap in time, uh, and it's not – told directly by Artie or around Artie, except that it's told by his wife at the time. Uh, and she has her own conflicts, both with Artie and in her own life. And then we jump again um, a few years, and Artie has landed on his feet once again uh, with uh, his old girlfriend, actually, uh, and... He has become uh, an inheritor in a family will uh, that involves um, a fishing boat in Nova Scotia, which is that family's livelihood. And this is where, in a sense, the rubber meets the road in Artie's life, and his all his conflicts kind of come together there toward the end. Um, but still he has this damage that's been done to psyche, oh, you know, by his childhood and that never goes away with somebody. I, I'm pretty, pretty convinced mm -hmm. in, in real life. Um, but he's made the most out of his life and it's, you know, it's not a book where I tie things up in a neat bow with, um, you're left, um, maybe with a little bit of a uh, hungry taste in your mouth to want to know more or, or whatever, but that's not really what I wanted to do. I just wanted to um, create life like it is, which is, uh, you know, you never, you never know what's facing you in, in life, no matter what age or what you've gone through or how much you've reconciled with things. Um, mm -hmm. So that's that's pretty much the book. So then when you were writing, you know, you had said that, you know, you had written this with the intent of, um, you know, male readers connecting. Yeah. How were you thinking that, you know, this was in terms of um, just 
telling the story from the male character's point of view? Or are there significant, um, I guess, um, aspects of, of relationships that men commonly experience that you were trying to get across? No, it wasn't that clear cut as far as, you know, my planning for what I wrote and, you know, writing fiction particularly tends to be uh, sort of seat of the pants anyway. You don't, you know, you create characters and situation and you don't really know where they're headed. Uh, I did have in mind to um, write some male characters into the book. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, some fairly flawed characters like Merle. Um, so that maybe if a man bought the book and decided to read it, he would be able to identify it to some measure with, you know, those characters. But also wanted wanted to create his mother, Marie, and his girlfriend, uh, Sandy, and his later wife, Katie, um, to kind of round out, you know, life is not just a male world. I mean, a lot of people think it is, but, you know, men don't survive very long without the women in their lives. Right. Uh, and uh, I wanted to have have it to where women could relate to it, too. Mostly, I, the reason for um, having men in mind was the, the short novel. Men will sometimes read something short, um, if they have the time, uh, they'll, they'll take the time for something short where they maybe won't take the time if it's war and peace mm-hmm. or something like that. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. And I'm, and I'm also thinking about, you know, you know, men identifying with their, with their young childhoods. Um, I mean, I think there are probably some experiences in there. I mean, you having lived as a <laughs> young man, I mean, I, I think that there were, um, you know, some things that you talked about in the story or different ways that you related to the different characters based upon your experience as a man or as a male. Um, and I say this because when I was reading it as a woman, I took away um, different, uh, I thought about things a little differently. Um, and and it, you may not have um, intended this, but I think, you know, of course, that's the beauty of, of, uh, of literature. And that's because everyone has their, their own uh, interpretations or what have you. But when I was reading the... Um, reading the story, I thought that not only did you do a wonderful characterization um, of Merle, I mean, he was really well developed, but I also thought that the mother character, um, you know, when she, you know, had to make this choice um, about um, staying with her son or leaving, I mean, that is that is something that a lot of women um, 
you know, grapple with. And I was, I was really touched by that particular story. I mean, I know that Artie was the center of the, of the uh, novella. So, you know, we stuck with him as a character, but I was also very impressed with the way that you handled, um, uh, that you handled his mother. So I just, I suppose the question out of that is, um, you know, when you are writing in the female voice or in the female psyche, I mean, what kind of shift did you make um, as a writer or was there a shift or did it all just sort of seem to come naturally to you? No, uh, in your comments, I've heard that a couple of times from people, uh, particularly the the segment with Katie, his first wife, uh, that I've handled that female personality mm-hmm. fairly well. I honestly don't know where that came from, but I, I remember making the choice that I was going to try to get into uh, a feminine mode to write about those characters when I did write those parts of the book. Um, Don't know where it came from, uh, but um, maybe maybe I paid a lot more attention than I think I did to my mother and grandmother. Mm -hmm. I've been married twice, so I probably paid a lot of attention to the women in my life and how they acted and interacted with men and with each other. Mm Mm-hmm. And okay, so so what is the feminine mode? So you said that you... I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I can answer that. It's just a different side of um, maybe a personality. Uh, one of the things I thought of to say a minute ago was um, <clears throat> years ago, somebody asked me, "How do you create these characters? Are they are, are they all you?" Or, or are you just making stuff up out of, you know, imagination that has nothing to do with you or anybody else? And I thought about that long and hard for a long time. And I think the human psyche is extremely complex. And writers seem to have to activate a lot of that in ways that, People don't if they're just a lawyer or a housewife or, you know, a a model in New York or whatever. We have to sort of uh, express the many sides of our personality. And uh, I've likened it to uh, a piece of rope. You know, rope is made up of a whole lot of little fibers of hemp, say, and they're all twisted together into little strands, and then those strands are twisted together to make the rope. And the way I envision it with myself is I have taken that rope that's my composite personality and sort of unraveled it to the point where these personalities come out. And um, that's kind of the way... I treat characters when I actually start putting flesh on the bones when I'm writing. Mm, that's fascinating. So, um, we're not crazy. We're just, <laughs> we're just different types of people. No, I mean, I, I completely understand what you're saying there. I mean, and, and, um, I think you're right. I mean, 
Um, people don't really acknowledge this, but I mean, writers were probably the very first sociologists because you, you are correct that you do have to um, be in tune with human behavior. You know, like what, what would someone really do in a particular situation? How would a person actually talk in a, in a specific situation? So, I mean, there is a lot of observation that goes into it um, that we don't really think about. Um, I, I guess that, that most people don't really think about. Yeah, uh, to go further with that, um, I my father was gone a lot. He was in the military, and a good bit of my growing up years, he was gone in different countries and all. And I lived with my mother and my grandmother, my mother's mother. And uh, I spent, I know I spent a lot of time observing them, how they interacted with each other and with other people, the neighbors, people at church, uh, the conflicts they had, how they dealt with those conflicts and all. And I suppose that just, you know, I stored it away in some fashion um, to write about. Right. Now, one of the things uh, that you did uh, in, uh, you know, leading up to this, uh, this author chat um, was that you agreed to write a letter to the readers um, of the novella. And right. I won't uh, give away everything that's in the letter because it is it is a special letter to short story book club uh, members. <laughs> but one of the things uh, that you said in the letter was that you called this work a trifling with magical realism. What did you mean by that? Um... I started making the decision to do that when I created the Merle character in the book. He was, um, of course, you know, anyone that's read the book knows he clearly had PTSD, uh, which is, you know, the disease that you get uh, from war. Uh, actually, now it's more accepted that you get it from most any trauma in life. Uh, but it, I have, uh, my father had that, and I've known several other people that's had it from other occasions rather, other than war. And they live sort of a fey existence a lot of the time. It's, it's an escape tool. Um, and so Merle was living in some world of his own creation to, to uh, escape his uh, wartime traumas. And um, I just, I didn't want to make too much out of that. I didn't want to have it be too magical. But um, there was a section toward the end of the book where um, Merle has passed on, but he's still talking in Artie's head. And, you know, you can suppose it's a ghost or you can suppose that Artie was just, uh, just was imagining that and, you know, was playing out in his mind as, as Merle. But in the uh, form of the book, it's actually um, sort of magical. You know, Merle actually is helping him deal with, you know, an emotional crisis in his life. And uh, 
when he falls in the water trying to save his little young cousin Mara toward the end, that's um, uh, Merle's they're helping him, you know, of course, Merle's passed on, and uh, so it's, it lends itself at least a little towards uh, magical realism. Mm-hmm. With your own experience, you know, with someone um, in your own family having PTSD, was it difficult for you to write about that subject? Yeah, um, and it, you're touching on a subject that um, I don't want to belabor, but we don't have to talk about anything you don't want to. Yeah, well, no, it's not. It's not that. Um, it's just that at a young age, like if I were trying to write that novel about those particular situations in my twenties, I wouldn't have been able to articulate it in my mind or on the page. I had to have a certain amount of years distance, I think, from it before I could do that. Uh, you know, it has to work in your your emotional makeup to a certain point where you can mm, maybe divorce yourself from it to the point that you can do something like write about it. And I don't think you could do that at a young age. I think you had to have, uh, as I said, some years and you know, distance of growth, personal growth between you and those experiences. Mm-hmm. Well, my father used to, um, yeah, he, I won't get into it, but he used to treat me pretty bad. Mm-hmm. All right. And it was all, I realized in later years, it wasn't me, you know, uh, it was PTSD. It was, uh, he just had to lash out and, uh, Refight the war, yes. Right. And that is also another um, topic that I, I had not planned to, to discuss, um, but certainly anyone who works with veterans, anyone who um, has a veteran in their life, um, you know, friend, neighbor, what have you, absolutely, um, you know, this book can be used as a as a, t- a teaching tool or some kind of, you know, resource to help people um, deal with the, some of these experiences. And I, again, I know that that wasn't your intent, but it is often the case that, um, you know, sometimes when we start writing about one topic um, and we think it's going to be written for purpose X. Really, there it, it helps people in a lot of other ways and in various ways. Well, thank you. I had never thought of the book in that light before. Um, but that does point up the fact that I think sometimes we writers don't really know what we're writing. Uh, you know, the readers get so much more out of what we write if we're writing well. Than, than we writers ever dreamed of. Uh, you know, it's, it's there. You know, we wrote it. Uh, but I think it's uh, the readers are the ones that really um, can express more nearly what the book's about sometimes than the writers. Mm-hmm. 
and that's that's one of the joys of uh being an author i'm so i'm so glad that you uh that you touched upon that um okay so i want to uh, before we um before we close i want to touch upon uh one uh last thing that that you mentioned actually at the top of the interview i'm sorry at the top of the author chat and that was um you had mentioned that you work with a number of other authors and and you also um work with one woman in particular who um is a poet can you tell us just a little bit about um the work that you're doing with these with these writers and and um how all of this came about, what we should be looking for? Sure. Um, actually, these things sort of get dropped into your lap uh, as it happens. Uh, I've heard that same thing from people who I've approached, uh, publishers that I've approached to have my stuff published. Um, I had a woman living here with me for some few months as a favor uh, so she could you know, save some money to live in a rather expensive place that Asheville is. And um, she was talking to me one night about um, her daughter had written poetry when she was a little girl, and she thought it was pretty good. So I said, well, let me see it. And she did. She brought it out. She had it like a good mother. She had it, <laughs> had it saved, uh, had saved it for years. And she brought it out, and it was the most charming little fifth-grade poetry you've ever seen. And I said, well, you know, if you want, I'll publish this for you. So I did, and um, her daughter was um, not as nearly, not nearly as enthralled with that fact that than her mother was. <laughs> but um, she, I think she kind of grew into the fact that she'd had something published it from when she was in the fifth grade. Um, and so that was the first one. And then um, this lady that um, I'm about to publish, she came to actually, uh, let me back up. I had judged the poetry contest, actually a writing contest, and the poetry was part of it. And her poem, poem that I was judging was far better, far better than anybody else's that had submitted and um, so we became friends, and then we didn't see each other for a while. And when we reconnected, she started talking about this book that she had written. It was sort of um, a paying to her family. She was she grew up on a farm in Indiana, and the uh, book is called Indiana Girl, and it's about life on the farm and about the connections the family have with the land and the history. Uh, it's the old archetype, really, of the farmer soldier. Her father and grandfather had gone to war, World Wars One and Two, and uh, the and her writing was just spectacular. I, I said, somebody's got to publish this, and I would prefer that it be me. So. Um, we did some editing on it and um, are in the process of publishing it. And now she she um, was an ordained minister. 
for some years, and um, she has a book of poetry that she, um, uh, maybe I shouldn't say too much about this, but uh, um, apparently people that she came in contact with as a pastor or minister uh, really didn't get the Bible in the way that it was uh, really written, and so she's written her version of it to kind of wake people up, and I like her attitude about that. You know, it's it's not the subject matter as much as her attitude towards um, waking people up uh, with writing, and um, so that's the second one that we'll probably publish of hers later on this year, if not this year, it'll be next year. Hmm. So and- that's where I am, and I have another lady that. Uh, I may publish her book of short stories. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And, okay, and so then when can we expect Indiana Girl? Uh, that will be out in the spring. Uh, okay. We're setting uh, March, I think March 30th, 31st uh, is the publishing date. So it should be out then. We're, we've pretty well got the text wrapped up, uh, we decided to have some line joints put in to illustrate a couple of poems. Uh, well, actually three or four. So I'm waiting on an artist to uh, develop those. And when we get that, I've got the, I already have the cover design done and the artist, I mean, the uh, ed- author has approved of that. So when we get the line drawings in and, and those are what we want, then we'll, we'll go to press with it. Mm, That sounds fantastic. So, um, now the name of your, um, publishing house is, do you want to tell everyone? Oh yeah. I thought you were going to say it. It's Gridley Fires Books. Gridley Fires Books. And the website, can you give us the, the, uh, the website? Yeah, um, it's uh, Gridley Fires. Uh, I've I've had it under my name for quite a while, and today, as of today, it still is, but I have a lady working on changing it over to a new host, and I'm going to, it's all going to be under the name of Gridley Fires Books after that. Okay, good. GridleyFiresBooks.com. Is that right? Right. Okay, good. All right, so... Hopefully, we'll be blowing up your website pretty soon um, with uh, with people um, finding all of these great new authors. I'm so excited um, to hear about this new talent um, that you're finding. And I, I want to say that, um, okay, one of the things that I love about short stories is that it's a great way um, to find new authors. So you don't have to commit to a huge home right so we were talking about war and peace we don't have to commit to war and peace (laughs) to find a good author um but then i also love this uh you know what you're doing here as an independent um publisher so we we have this opportunity to um to hear new voices and i just love that so we get new voices new short story writers and now, that isn't to say that Indiana Girl is a short story. I don't know if it is or not. But anyone who's listening and 
and is interested in reading good literature, you know, short story or not, they can uh, check this out. So, okay. Well, is there anything else um, that you want to uh, tell us uh, before we close out? Uh, I was just thinking to say that uh, I'm really happy to be publishing these things, too. Um, publishing is as satisfying as being a writer. Uh, you, you, being a vicarious writer, I suppose, is the right thing to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm enjoying publishing as much as I've enjoyed writing, but I'm still going to continue to write. Okay. Well, that's great. I'm so glad to hear that. All right, Bob, thank you so much um, for speaking with us at Short Story Book Club uh, for this author chat. Thank you for rescheduling. I know um, uh, that, uh, you know, you've got a lot of other things on your plate, uh, and I appreciate your taking the time out um, to talk with us um, for a couple of minutes. Well, thanks for having me, Donna. I really appreciate it. That's it for today's episode. Be the first to know about our upcoming shows by visiting our website at shortstorybookclub.com. Follow us on Facebook at SSBC Posts, on Twitter at SSBC Tweets, and on Instagram at Short Story Book Club. Become a subscriber and join the club to read the latest short story of the month. Get this and more at shortstorybookclub.com. See you next time.